0: Today's reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory?
1: Well, good morning, uh, this is the fifth week in our series through 2 Corinthians, and we're looking, uh, we're calling this series Authenticity. So if you're, uh, if you're new this morning, if this is your first time hearing any of these sermons, welcome. Uh, and if you've been listening, I hope that you're beginning to get a sense of what authenticity really looks like uh, from this letter. Um, would you join me in prayer? Father, this morning uh, I pray for the one who's about to deliver this message, uh, that you would uh, forgive him and help him uh, to preach a message that he's not worthy of. I pray that in holding fast to the gospel alone uh, that makes him sufficient, that you would make your word sufficient and effective for all of us this morning. That we would come to know you, the living God, and that we would be found alive by your Spirit, through the news that is about your glorious Son, Jesus. Amen. Well, there are, there are two different uh, stories that, that drive people. Two different narratives. Uh, the first story is the path that most people travel on. It's the road that pretty much everybody takes. And uh, we all start out in this life traveling down that road. It's a story that we badly want to believe and then there's a story that we need to believe, and I'm, I'm talking about both of those stories today, this morning. Um, they're going to kind of guide our, our, our uh, conversation through uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. And these are, these are two different stories. The first is a story that we tell ourselves, and the second is a story that, that God actually tells, that someone else narrates, somebody else tells and so the story that we want to believe about ourselves, what is the story we so badly want to believe about us? What is that story? We want to believe that we're glorious. We want to believe that we can be glorious, uh, that we have it in us to be all that we can be. That's the story deep down that we desperately want to believe. It's the glory story. And it's, it's just about how everything operates in this life. And so um, read with me verse 1. of our our passage this morning. Paul begins, he says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? And so Paul points out, right right at the opening here, right out the gate, uh, something that's very common to how things go. People who matter and uh, who are widely uh, known are are very credible. In In our culture, we still have uh, a very strong fascination with uh, celebrity. Uh, and, and the thing that separates, you know, celebrities from just ordinary people, like us, right, uh, is, is not something inherent in us that we're lacking. Um, it's just the fact that a celebrity has a lot more letters of recommendation about him or her. They have a lot more uh, people who are aware of their presence. Uh, it's, it's sort of like how, uh, why uh, so many of us uh, you know, flock, we, we literally charge after the best restaurant in town. Um, it's because of letters of recommendation that people share by word of mouth that this is a really great place to eat at. you gotta, you got to come check it out. You know, we got to enjoy this great meal. Um, and, and the thing about being on top is that you have letters of recommendation. People who matter have endorsed you. And so the, the opponents of Paul, they're using this uh, to give extra credit to themselves and to discredit Paul. And so that's why he says, do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation? And what's interesting about this is, uh, you know, Paul is no stranger to using letters of recommendation. We have a couple of examples in the New Testament. Uh, the church in Corinth received a, a recommendation letter about Apollos uh, in, in the book of Acts chapter 18, it says the brothers uh, wrote for the disciples to welcome him. And, so, and, then, and, and Paul himself wrote a letter of recommendation for uh, a person named Phoebe to the church of Rome. And we read, that, we read, read about that in, in Romans chapter 16. And so what's curious is he had no problem of sending and receiving letters of recommendation until this point. Um, so what's the big deal? Why, why is it such a big deal? The big deal now is that the Corinthians assume that Paul himself needed a letter of recommendation. And that's so contrary to the the message that Paul is sending them, the very message that established this church. Remember, Paul planted this church. Um, And so, in other words, the gospel creates the church. The church does not create the gospel. And so that's why Paul makes such a big deal out of this. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Uh, You yourselves are our our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. But see, their problem was they wanted so badly, so desperately to believe the story about themselves that we all want to believe. They wanted to believe that they mattered, that they were commendable, and that they were qualified in and of themselves. When we use letters of recommendation, what uh, they tell a story about us, don't they? When we're applying for a job, and you know we really want to get this job, uh, so we show our work history. We show that we've done what it takes to do this job well, and then you know to seal the deal, we we gather, we get all of these endorsements from other industry experts, and they established the credibility that we have to be the one who can do this job, to have what it takes, to be you know, the can-do person that it takes to do this job. And that's how these Corinthians were using religion. That's actually what they began to think about what Christianity was and what it had to offer, that, that it was a religion that is about somebody's, that God uses somebody's. And that they were somebody's, that they were qualified. And that's a story we believe about ourselves. It really is. Uh, it's a message that says to everybody else around us I am qualified. I can do it. I've done it. Um, I mean, if we look around, uh, you know, narcissism, uh, you know, our, our inflated sense of self, our inflated ego, is, it's so pervasive. Uh, one sociologist, uh, Gene Twangy, uh, she she's a professor over at San Diego State University. Hey hey, local. Woo! SDSU. Any SDSU grads? Alum? There we go, we got some people. Any current students, SDSU? Anybody? Come on, where's Kevin at? I don't think you're somewhere. Oh he's outside. Yeah, yeah. I, SDSU. <laughs> he's outside. <laughs> All right. Um, anyways. So she, what she said, this sociologist, she, she kind of declared our, our time uh, as, as plagued by narcissism. Uh, there's an epidemic. Uh, and, and everywhere the messaging is, look at me, look what I'm doing, I'm super important, check out what I'm doing, this is what I'm doing, it's all self-promotion. And, and self-promotion is so common that everybody does it just to get, to, get ahead. It's not, it's not like a bad thing anymore, it's a good thing, you have to do it just to like get somewhere, you know. like me on LinkedIn or whatever it is. That's well, what we do. And, and so the story is all about getting what's owed. There are demands, there are commands. We have to do, we have to earn, we have to get approval, we have to win. That's the way life works. Do this and you'll live, fail to do and you won't. That's the, this is a story that, that we brand ourselves with, that brands us, that we're all captured by and enamored with and living for. And if you don't, if you don't do, well, then you cease to live and you can't be heard. Uh, in the 1920s, there was a, a, still a widely read book uh, by the by uh, Franz Kafka. Maybe you've read it before or heard about it. The Metamorphosis. Anybody heard of that one? Heard of it? All right. Well, let me just do a recap. This is a, a Spark Spark Notes version um, or Cliff Notes. Uh, so the metamorphosis, it tells a story of a salesman who, you know, works and provides for his family. Well, one day, all of a sudden, he wakes up as a giant, ugly bug. That's a problem. And as you can imagine, if you're a giant, giant ugly bug, you're not really going to be able to be a good salesperson anymore, right? So, I mean, who wants to buy a car or anything from a big, ugly, giant bug, right? So, uh, so he can no longer work. He can no longer produce. And for a little while, his family uh, that he was providing for you know, provides for him, helps him out. But eventually, their support runs out. The well runs dry, and he starves to death, and he dies. It's a really happy book. <laughs> uh, so he went from being a somebody based on his production, based on being somebody who can do something, contribute, to being a nobody. So he went from somebody to nobody, all because he wasn't working. Isn't that the society that we live in? And we really look at it, um, we can kind of lament what, what Kafka lamented in his own day, that the, the, the valuable, the truly human, those are those people who can produce, who have something to offer. And if you can't benefit society, what good are you? If you have nothing to offer, why should you have the right to live? So in our culture, I mean, this is true from beginning of life issues to the end of life issues. Um, it, 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 it's it, this is true. Uh, uh, it, it's it's why, for example, um, bringing something up kind of sensitive, but um, why uh, we test for um, the possibility of, of a child being born with Down syndrome. Um, you know, if you if you know that you're going to have a non-productive child, what good is it to keep it? It's a real reality that is there. I know it's hard to hear about. I know it's wicked. Um, the same goes for those who are bedridden, those who are uh, paralyzed. Uh, physician-assisted suicide is a thing, it's on the rise um, because of bodies that can't produce anymore. And euthanasia, that's another reality that we have to look at. The elderly, what good are they? They can't do anything anymore, they're not increasing value to society, so what's the point of their existence? From beginning of life issues to end of life issues, that's, that's this question and, and it's what a lot of people choose to believe. That our worth is determined solely by our performance, solely by our productivity, solely by what we can do, what we can offer. That defines our existence. And so if you don't do, then you're nothing, you're nobody. And that's where the story that all of us want to believe actually leads. It leads to death. It drives us to the utter despair of life itself. But there's another story. There's an absolutely different story, a different word. It's a story that God's been telling us since the fall of mankind. It's a story that God promised long ago that he's done in his son and he's telling us about again and again and again. And so this is a story that I want us to think about now. The story that we need to believe about ourselves. What is that story? If the story that we want to believe about ourselves is that we want to be glorious in and of ourselves, then the story that we need to believe about ourselves is actually that, that, that we can be glorious, but only through God on his terms. So we can be glorious, that message is still true, but it's not on our terms, it's on God's terms. And so we have to get to the point where we admit, I can't do this, I don't have it in me, I don't got this, I'm not qualified. That's where we have to be. And that's exactly where Paul goes next, so read with me verse 4. He says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Did somebody release a gnat, by the way, and just, like, sick it on me? Because this thing is, I knew it was you, Bob, I knew it. (laughs) So if I'm smacking myself in the face, you know why, okay? Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, verse 6, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Um, Now, a long time ago in a story in the Old Testament, so right now we're reading the New Testament, there's a, a collection of books that's a lot older than that called the, what? Old Testament. See, everybody's with me. This is great. Um, so, so in that, uh, was, uh, a story about a man named Moses who was called to the ministry. There's that nat again. See? <laughs> it's just, it's back. Um, so Moses, um, he helped to establish, uh, the old covenant on Mount Sinai between God and his people Israel. So maybe you've heard about the Ten Commandments or you saw that one cheesy movie. Who was in that movie? I don't even remember. Charlton Heston. There it is. Well, maybe it's not that cheesy. It's sentimental. I can, well, okay. it's, it's kind of good. Okay, Ten Commandments. Okay. Well, so in that story, God makes Moses his mouthpiece to speak uh, on his behalf to the people. And in that story, uh, Moses gives him a response, just like what Paul said. So Moses tells God, essentially he says, I'm not qualified. He says, who am I to go? And God responds and answers him and he says, who has made man's mouth? You know, a little play on words there between the two of them. And, and he, he gives assurance to Moses that he's going to be with him, and he's going to speak through Moses. And what we learn from that story, this old story, is that God makes the unqualified to be qualified. That's what, that's what God's in the business of doing. He's in the, the business of making nobodies and turning them into somebodies. And this is what God does with every person who believes the gospel. He makes the inadequate to be adequate. Um, And so the very confession of of not being qualified is actually what what qualified Moses to be of service, to be of use to God. He knew he wasn't good enough. He knew he didn't have it in him. And that was what God actually used. That's why he was such a great mouthpiece for God. Um, And as Paul admits, we're not sufficient in ourselves. God is the one who makes us sufficient. God is the one who qualifies us for what we we do. And, And... the truth is, commending ourselves will only lead to our condemnation. Um, and why is that? Let's, let's think back at, 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 at the end of verse 3. I want to point something out to you. Uh, our translation, it reads, not on tablets of stone, but on, ta- on tablets of human hearts. Um, so human hearts. Most English translations translate that as, as human hearts. But Paul's talking about something different here. He's actually talking about fleshly hearts. And there's a little bit of a difference there. And so Paul is describing humans, you know, not as created as good, but as created and fallen, as, as, as people who fall short of the glory of God, who are under the curse of sin and death. And so this language is full of rich history, of uh, other language found in the Old Testament prophets, where God promises to one day give his people a heart transplant. You don't need a heart transplant unless something's wrong. <laughs> you know, something's gone wrong. Um, and so God has to do this because his people constantly failed to keep his law. Uh, they broke the covenant that God made with, um, you, you know, using Moses. We call that the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant. Um, and so Ezekiel and Jeremiah and other prophets in the Old Testament, they're replete with this idea that, that, that God will replace our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh. He'll give his spirit to them, and they'll finally begin to keep his commandments. And so Paul makes use of that rich language to tell the Corinthians that they need to believe the real story about themselves. It's a story that they're not qualified. the story that they're not commendable. That, in fact, they are a rebellious, sinful, stiff-necked people in need of God's saving. And so we see that all human efforts to obtain power and glory, those things that we long for deep down, that every effort of self-justification and self-approval and self-promotion is under the condemnation and death that the law works on us. So what we have to do is we need to stop trying to justify ourselves and we need to give up the glory story like Paul does in verse 5 where he's able to say these words, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything coming from us. The law like drives us to that point, to be able to confess that truth about ourselves before God that we have not done it. That's the law's work on us. To get us to say we don't have what it takes. That's the point, to drive us to defeat, to our desperate need for someone else. And so we have to die to the story that we want to tell ourselves every day so we can live in the story that God is telling us. It's a new story, it's completely different, and it sounds totally different, which is why I want to read this last section from Paul where he compares these two different notions. And so I'll I'll expand on that in a second. So let's read the rest of our our passage, verse 7. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Verse 8, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Verse 9, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must be must far exceed it in glory. Verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. Finally, verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. And so you might have noticed that, like I said, Paul's drawing this great contrast here. And there are five things that we should pay attention to. Five things about the law that he says. First, He says that it's a ministry of death. Yikes. Second, he says it was written in letter and done with ink. Third, it was written on stones. Fourth, it was temporary, so it wasn't permanent. And fifth, he says the law was a ministry of condemnation. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or an expert in the Bible to notice that all of those things are not very good things. Right? Not very good. Um, and, and, And... these things are being juxtaposed with the new covenant. So so it's comparing Moses to Jesus, the old covenant, with the new covenant. And what he's doing here is he's making this contrast between two very different stories of approaching God. Two different ways that we relate to God, even. The first way is by obeying the law. And the second way is by believing the gospel. So those are the two different ways that he holds up before us here. The first way, he says, will lead to your death. And the second way will give you life. The Spirit will give you life. And this is one place among several places in the New Testament specifically where we learn about the difference between law and gospel. The law is good, it tells us what we're to do, and it shows us what a good life looks like. So a good life loves your neighbor. A good person, even is someone who doesn't lie, doesn't cheat, doesn't steal, doesn't cheat on, doesn't murder, so does all these good things. That's, that's all good. Now, the problem is the law can't change our hearts. Hmm. And so the problem is we're not good. Uh, we are bad, and so uh, we constantly break the good, holy law. Every parent, like if you ever been a parent, you've had little children running around? What do we learn about them? Like as soon as you issue a command, "Hey, go clean up your toys in the room." "Why don't you go make your bed right now?" "Why don't you get home on time tonight?" You know, not past curfew this time. Why is it that every command that we issue, man, it's always breakable. They never keep that law. Like they never do it. They just don't do it. Um clean your room, what? Pick up the toys. What? Um You know, they do the opposite of what we command and tell them to do. So as sinners, we we all try the best we can to keep the law, but at the end of the day, we fall short. Every time. To put it differently, um, I want to read a quote by a dead guy. It's always exciting to read dead guys, right? Cool. So he said this. He said, It is the function of the law to uncover the disease. It gives us no hope of its cure. It is the function of the gospel to bring healing to those who are without hope. The law, insofar as it leads men to put their confidence in it, consigns them to necessarily to death. The gospel, on the other hand, leads us to Christ and thus opens the gate to life. And so, I mean, this difference is, is to say it's important is, is an understatement. It's life-changing, this difference of relating to God. It's a difference that changed the way that I viewed, perceived God, and live. And I know it did the same for my dad, even. Um, Understanding this difference between the law which says do this, or you need to do this, and the gospel which says, as we sang earlier, it is finished. Everything has been done already. I mean, that's a huge difference. The law is a command. The gospel is a promise. The law makes demands. The gospel tells us and gives us, actually, what's demanded. And so Paul compares these two different ministries, these two different ways of relating to God, to teach us that we need to die to the old way of relating to God. And we have to believe in this new way. The law comes in to attack the very, not the worst we have to offer, but the very best of our efforts. Everything that we've done, that we think that is valuable, that we can contribute, that we use to self-commend, to write our own letters of recommendations, that say that we, do, that we can do it. The law comes in and says, nope, still not good enough. You have not kept it. You fall short here, here, and here. You haven't done it. And so we have to die to that story. We need to be killed by the law so that God can make us alive in Christ by his spirit. And the only way to cure that disease is not by satisfying it, not by feeding it, but by murdering it. And so that's why God gives us his law. He essentially wants us to bottom out like an addict. Because when we bottom out, what do we recognize? We can't do it. That we need someone else to step in and help us. And so we have to come to the end of our resources. We need to put to death our efforts so new life can begin. Like alcoholics and addicts, we need to get to that first step where we admit, my name is Nick, and I'm a sinner. We have to get to that first step, to confess our sins. We have to learn to say, I'm not qualified, I can't do it. I need someone else to help me. We need a faith that is rooted in Jesus, and that's not rooted in ourselves anymore. A story that dies to our narrative for self-improvement, our glory story, and exchanges it for the story of the cross which says, yes, perfect righteousness is impossible for us. If you want to get to God on the basis of your performance, your popularity, something that you can contribute, it's never going to happen. You're never going to get there. You'll never enter the presence of God because you're not worthy enough. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You haven't done enough. And so what do you need to do? You need to admit that you're not righteous that you haven't done it, that you've sinned. And when you can say that, you're actually approaching God in the way that he gives life. But you really don't need to do anything, do you? You don't need to do anything. You need to believe something completely different, a different story, a different narrative. You need to believe that God is actually for you today because of what his son has done. Today, maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time, um, or maybe you haven't. Maybe today is the first time you think you may believe something about Christianity. You may believe uh, this different story that I've been talking about. Maybe today you believe that God loves you, but, but that idea has always kind of just been in your head. It's never really transferred into your bones, never been in your heart, essentially, that you've really felt that God is actually for me in Christ. Deep down, you've never really heard God tell you of his unconditional, permanent, forever love for you. And what God is doing when you believe the gospel is he's telling you deep down, he's saying to you, you are my son or you are my daughter, and I unswervingly always will forever love you, and I care for you, and I'm with you to the end. That's a message that we don't need to do. That's a message that tells us of what's been done. Hear the difference? A little bit. Just to conclude, um, the story that we want to believe about ourselves is that we can make it, that we can do it on our own. That we don't need any other help, but we can make it happen. Truth is, we can't. What we need to do is believe in the story that we are not qualified, that we can't do it on our own, and we need for God to do what we could not do for ourselves. That news is not law, it is gospel. It's not about we should, what we should do, what we have to do, what we can do, what we could do, what we would do. But it's a completely different story, all about what God has already done for us and his son Jesus. That is news about what he has done. His word to us that says, it is finished. Give up the glory story and come believe my cross story about my son. And in that, I'm going to not demand anything from you anymore, but I'm going to give you something that you couldn't have except through believing my word. So will you die to that glory story today and be found forgiven and loved in the message of the cross? Let's pray.